G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. I apologise, it's been a little bit longer between drinks with these episodes as I was over in Japan for the 2021 Olympic Games working with the Australian Olympic team. But we are back, ready to pick up right where we left off in the 20th anniversary celebration of the 2001 Women's World Series. If you haven't checked out episode one in this special three-part series on the 2001 World Series, press stop and go check out my interview with Donna Mills of the USA. I know you'll love it. For episode two, it was an absolute privilege to chat to one of the living legends of our sport, Canadian Kate Soda. In 2019, Kate announced her retirement from international women's baseball after a 20-year career which left indelible memories on everyone against which she played and the sport itself. Kate contested a record eight World Cups in her career and won six medals, including two silvers. But before that, we take it back to the very start where it all began at the 2001 Women's World Series in Canada, when she fronted up against the world's best as a 15-year-old. Kate tells us how that experience pretty much set the foundation for the career that, that we all had the privilege to witness over the next 20 years. She talks about her time spent in Australia, And excitingly for women's baseball around the world, and particularly in Canada, she talks to us about the new role that she's taken with the Canadian women's national team. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Here it is, Kate Soda, Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Enjoy. Uh, Welcome to Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. My guest today is Kate Soda from Canada. Welcome to Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Thank you for having me. We know you're over in Canada. Can you tell us where you're talking to us from today? I am uh, just outside of Toronto, about an hour outside of Toronto. Uh, it's been wet and miserable for most of the summer here, but we're making the best of it uh, and just happy that it's not snowing anymore. <laughs> yes, I do remember quite vividly from Daphne's podcast episode earlier of the what you guys have to go through with the snow and we, we complain when it just gets a little bit single digits down here in, in Australia. It's late late night there for you, uh, Saturday. How, how did you get baseball into your day uh, for you? Uh, today, I'm um, just sort of connecting with the group. Uh, we've got a meeting scheduled for tomorrow. Um, so yeah, just, just uh, hammering out some details, talking amongst the coaches. Uh, we keep in contact quite regularly, whether it's serious business or whether it's just joking aside. Um, yeah, usually every day there's something going on. That's awesome. And we'll we'll get to your current role on the national team and and obviously your career. Um your very very storied career, but I want to I want to take you back to when it started. I read that you started when you were about 4 or 5. Can you tell me what what got your what sparked your interest in baseball? Yeah, I I definitely was um really interested at a young age. If you ask my parents, uh they said I was obsessed with um anything to do with baseball from a really really young age so they got me a glove and they actually got me one for my wrong hand Um, so they got me a lefty glove and uh, because my dad's left-handed so I remember playing with him and uh, I think my grandma got it for me like it wasn't even a it was just one of those like plastic ones right because she knew I like baseball so anyways we're playing and I guess he threw a ball maybe a little bit too hard for me and it ended up hitting me in the head so I threw, instead of like crying, I just threw the glove down and picked it up, ball up with my right hand and just chucked it back at him. And he was like, oh, didn't say sorry. Or like, he's like, she's a righty. She's not a lefty, like light bulb. So anyways, yeah, I, from there, uh, T-ball, rookie ball. I played with boys for a long time from nine till I was about 15. And then, uh, yeah, it just kind of snowballed from there. And what was it like? I mean, we've all got the stories of, playing with the boys and the, those moments we get to play with the girls. What, how did you find being that, that only girl? If you were the only girl, how did you find that growing up? Yeah, I was the only girl. Uh, I was really lucky. I know a lot of people have stories where they don't have positive experiences, but I had a really great group of guys. I think my first year I ended up playing like AAA, which is the highest level, and then I dropped down to AA, and it just seemed that group of, of guys that I played with um, were super accepting, and I mean, it helps when you're one of the better players on the team, but uh, <laughs> they were very accepting, and I had the same group moving all through uh, the years. A couple pieces change here and there, but um, if if the anybody new came in and said anything, one of the other boys would set them straight, so... Yeah, it was it was really uh, really nice for me and a good experience. 
And you talk about, I guess, I agree, knowing how good you would have been as a junior, it does make it easier when you are a girl and you, you play as, as good as, if not better than the boys. But what are some of the things that you think, for those of us that didn't have a good experience, what are the things that you think that could clubs could learn from or things like that to make it a better experience for girls? Uh, just be welcoming and inclusive. And I think a lot of times, especially if there's more than one girl, they think that maybe because they're not as strong as the boys, the first thing they do is split them up. And I think that's probably the worst thing you could do. Like mm. keep them together, um, try to balance out the talent as best you can in another way. Um, and, and just, uh, you know, keep working, working at the skills, um, positive reinforcement, uh, nip anything right away if there's any kind of chatter or banter or anything like that in a negative uh, context from the boys. Uh, and, and really, I think, to be quite honest, I think it comes more from the parents than it does from the kids. Mm-hmm. And if it comes yeah. from the kids, it's usually them echoing something that the parents have said because I find kids to be like super accepting and understanding. It's when adults get involved, things tend to get ruined. Is it, is it something you've seen, um, obviously, from the start of your career to now, or 20 years, is that something you've seen improve? Or is it, um, I know you said you had, you've had always had good experiences, but is it something you think is, for the most part, getting better in Canada? I would like to think so. Um, but, I mean, I've heard something as recent as this year. Uh, we've got a really great young player, uh, plays out east, and I know she had a you know an experience this year, and, and she's so mature and confident in her abilities that she just kind of brushed it off, but probably like a parent a dad uh, in particular that just told her girls shouldn't be playing baseball or 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 something along those lines so as much as I like to think that we're beyond that I don't think we're quite there yet I think that's still Mm -hmm. there's a lot of challenges and barriers that women face in baseball Um, so yeah hopefully we can just continue to make it better I read when you were 13 you now you're from if you can tell us whereabouts in Canada you're from so Um, Ontario, the province, and just outside of Toronto. Okay, so that's sort of in the, I guess, east or the right side of Canada? Yeah, east, central, yeah, more eastern. Eastern, okay. So, correct me if I'm wrong, first National Women's Championships, you're representing Ontario as a 13-year-old. Is that correct? Uh, not as a women's. I think when I was 13, there was a peewee um, national okay. or yeah it was a peewee nationals that went on and we went to uh winnipeg manitoba and uh that was something that was really cool for me because that's how it sort of started with the girls ball because at that stage i was exclusively playing boys and i don't remember exactly how it came about going to the tryouts and that um but i do remember playing on that team and it was like an all-star team they just pick girls from everywhere so we had a lot from around the province and uh, we ended up winning that tournament. It was a really cool experience for me. Um, for a first time I was away from home by myself. My parents didn't go. So, I mean, there was lots of parents there to chaperone, but it was so much fun. Um, so first tournament away. And uh, it wasn't my first time on an airplane, but first airplane experience <laughs> with a team. Um, and yeah, and a cool story about that, like side note, is I went back to Winnipeg. I don't recall the exact year, uh, and went to the same park and they still had the mural painted on the back of the dugout from that original championship and the people who I'm not sure if they like ran the tournament or were there for grounds crew or something they ran into this little bunker and gave me a shirt that they had from that original tournament so I think it might have been like I don't know 99 I guess and I think I went back in like 2012 ish so it was that That's was kind of awesome. cool yeah, it's amazing that connection. You it doesn't matter how many years. I think once women's baseball gets into a community, or it sort of sticks with people. I always remember names and faces. It's that real. Once you're in, it's sort of like this lifelong community. I think that's what I. One of the things I love about women's baseball. Um, now I'm, I read that you threw a no hitter, hit a home run, and you won the MVP in that nationals. Is that correct? Is that true? I, as I well? don't. Re- I don't remember everything. I remember hitting a home run. I think I remember throwing a no-hitter. I don't know about the MVP. Um, I actually, there was a couple of, like, really good players on that team. Um, Kaylee Rafter is actually on the women's national softball team. I'm pretty sure she's going to Tokyo. She was on that team. Um, so, yeah, cool connections there. But I, I don't remember. I'm not going to commit to the MVP part, but I do remember the other two. 
Wow, humble as always. You can't remember when it seems like you've dominated the nationals. You're like, I don't remember, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, so that's 99, you say. And then 2001, there's a buzz in the women's baseball world. There's going to be a World Series in July over in Canada. When did that – I mean, you were 15 when you, were, when you represented Canada. Um when did that sort of you first hear about the 2001 World Series and go, yep, I'm only 13 or 14, I reckon I could do that. When did that sort of become a thing where you went, yep, I'm targeting that? Uh, I remember being part of the provincial program in Ontario and obviously being 15, I couldn't drive myself. So our practices were basically located um, like in northeast Toronto. So it used to take us a good like hour, hour and a half to get to training. And we used to train for like, I think about four hours every Saturday. Uh, and again, girls coming from all over the province. And it was at one of those trainings and there was a women's program developed as well. So we used to um, be involved with them a little bit. Uh, people who I was like obviously idolizing at the time. And uh, two of the girls there, the Topoli sisters, it was their dad, Peter and their brother Damon, who got involved um, with the coaching staff and that. And we heard about the buzz uh, of the tournament and I remember my dad coming up to me after one of the practices and saying that Mr. Topley had something he wanted to ask me. So he actually went and asked my dad permission to ask me. And he was like, I don't know, ask her. Like, she's the one that's playing. Like, you don't need my permission. She's going to probably say yes. Um, but it was just kind of funny because I was, you know, underage by quite a bit. So I just remember that and just thinking, I, to be honest, I don't think I got the scale of it. Um, I, I was just so excited to hear Canada and baseball in the same sentence and a women's mm. program. Um, so didn't really get the whole grasp of it until we started that tournament. And how many girls at that point in time or the women that you're on the team had you played with or knew of? Was this, was this like this whole experience of playing with elite women? Was that new for you? Uh, yes and no. I knew a lot of the girls. Uh, didn't necessarily play with them all the time because I was about four years younger than the core group. Uh, but but I knew them. Um, and, you know, before the tournament, uh, I remember Damon and Peter just saying, like, just be confident in your abilities. We'll use you when we need you and, and just take everything in that you can. Uh, but I think I ended up playing a decent amount, which was, uh, which was really cool. But, um, yeah, it was just all about the experience at that point. And what do you remember from, from that World Cup? I hear stories from the players that played there and playing at the Sky Dome and just all these different things. I know the Australian team went to Cooperstown. They've, they got some items in Cooperstown. They went to Niagara Falls. It seems like it was like, was that that first ever trip? Like I'm gutted I was a little, little late coming into the sport and I missed out on that trip because it's just legendary from what I, from what I understand. What, what are a couple of your sort of standouts from that? Well, it was a totally different experience for us because I was just at home. Like, my parents just drove me to the games. So we were in a hotel. I've already been to Niagara Falls. I've already done the touristy <laughs> stuff. So awesome for you guys. But for us, like, the Sky Dome back at the time, Rogers Center now, um, that was amazing as a 15-year-old walking in there, and you're just like, holy, like, all my, like, pro idols play here. Like, you watch the Blue Jays on TV. You've been watching them yep. forever. And you step on that field and you're just like, you almost tiptoe on the first time because you're just not <laughs> sure. You're like, ooh. And uh, yeah, it, it was really, really incredible. And, and so much, it just seems so beyond, I guess, where I was at that point in my development. Mm. So again, you, it's just like all this um, like information overload and, and just all these like sensory overload because you're trying to take everything in. You're trying to focus on the game. You're trying to do your job. But I guess as a 15 year old, um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot. I mean, you say it's a lot as a 15 year old to, to take it all in, which completely understandable. Um, but what, what do you think that as a 15 year old taking all of that in and, and using that as the foundation for the, the career, this, the stunning career that you have gone on to produce, how, how do you rate that experience now looking back to, to setting up your entire career? Oh, it, it definitely got me hooked. Like once we got that taste of international experience, and I remember playing against the U.S. and Japan, and at that stage, like I'd never played against like yeah, American girls and stuff, but Japan plays such a different style of baseball. Mm. So to see that come over and be exposed to that, and and just taking it all in, like that was incredible. And then obviously the Aussie girls, you guys walking around with all your cool accents, um, that's all <laughs> we could, you know, 
trying to get some like swag from you guys and and you know try to converse because we could Japanese girls didn't speak English very well but Shay and I actually made a like a cool connection uh way back then I don't even know we were just kind of sitting there chit-chatting and she's like oh you're the youngest I'm the youngest okay cool and like honestly from that point we've kept in touch and we've been good friends ever since so I think looking back you never know what a conversation in the grass is going to lead to but uh mm. yeah it's it's you're right it's the connections and and I think just um, being involved with that and getting that bug at such a young age uh it, it just really kind of hooks you in and and you're very focused from then on mm. and I think from uh from 2001 after then Canada sort of dropped out a bit for the next mm-hmm. few years um didn't come Oh, I know the World Series in 2002, 2003 was a different Canada team and then we didn't see you in 2003. We didn't sort of get you back until 2004. What did you do during that period between 2001 and then that first World Cup in 2004? Uh, A lot of focus uh, provincially. At that point, we had a a fairly decent uh, women's league running in our area. Um, So, yeah, it, it was a lot of baseball uh, lots of training between the provincial program and, and your regular club team. Um, so just, yeah, just training to get better. Uh, and again, we weren't sure what was coming down the pipe. I think we actually went to Australia in like 2002 for a tournament, a uh, similar group. We played in Geelong. Yes. Um, in December. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that kind of happened. And then, so we really had like those two years, uh, and, and for me, like baseball was one of my sports. My other sport was ice hockey. So at that stage, so at that point in my life, I'm finishing high school, I'm getting ready for university. Uh, and I went on to play ice hockey at university. So it was kind of like a dual thing for me. Summers were always consumed with baseball, a little bit of training through the winter, but winters were dominated with ice hockey. Um, so it's, it was kind of like a balance between the two. Yeah, and look, you've, you've started my next question um, was the fact that in, you've five consecutive um, championships with, uh, I think, the Laurier Golden Hawks. You did played collegiate hockey. And it's it's interesting because you always had that whole, oh, you went off and played softball or we lost someone to softball. How does someone start baseball and, and hockey? I mean, clearly Canada and your the weather, but how did you pick up both and clearly be world-class in both? Okay, so... I was a stereotypical Canadian child. When you first winter, you learn to walk, they shove skates on your feet and they're like, figure it out kind of thing. So that's usually what happens here. You start off kind of with like little baby shuffles uh, until you kind of get going. So everyone, I, I say that loosely, not everybody, but a lot of people learn how to skate at a really young age. So I could skate. And then I think I started around eight or so. Some of my friends at school were playing and, uh, I used to ski too in the winters when I was really young, um, downhill ski. And uh, mm-hmm. my mom was like, oh, you want to try hockey? I'm like, sure. Like all my friends are playing. And she, I remember the after the first year, she's like, oh, you're like pretty good at this. So let's just, you know, <laughs> do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, I love it. So they just kept putting me in. And again, I played with boys. Um, it, it started off. I think it started with girls, then I went to like a boys house league program, then I went to a boys uh, travel team, and that was like full body contact, so I was the only girl in that program, and I played that till my bantam year, so it would have been around like 14, and then I switched over to a girls program, Uh, played really competitively, like the leagues are super competitive uh, all across Canada for uh, junior Mm. girls. so that was it consumes a lot of time like you're doing showcase tournaments in the states uh you're going on on buses almost like every weekend to these games and tournaments um a lot of uh canadian players end up getting scholarships in both canada and the united states so uh it just carried on that way and then i made my decision to stay in canada i went to visit a few schools here and ended up choosing laurier it was just a really good fit for me i knew some of the players that were there and uh, yeah, it was a very storied career. Like I look back at that point in my life really fondly. And uh, yeah, it was it was quite a run and a lot of hard work, dedication. We used to train at uh, like 6.30 every morning. So you're up at 5.30 before school started. Then you'd have your gym session during the day. Um, you know, there, you always had like as a varsity athlete, there were curfews. They would throw practices in at 11 at night. So you couldn't go do fun things. 
uh, yeah, it's, it was pretty full on. And, and we had a great program for a long time there. So I was really fortunate to be part of that. And you say that you you did that during the winter and baseball during the summer. And I think I was reading somewhere how many hours you used to have to drive in your career for baseball. It's like you spent so much time. Where did you fit a life in? Like uh, where was? <laughs> I didn't have a like a super normal high school um, life like most people do. Um, but my I had a really good group of friends there, and they knew. Um, so they, they would always invite me out of courtesy to things, but nine times out of 10, I couldn't go. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a lot of time spent in a car, a lot of time spent in a car with a textbook, uh, trying to do your studies on the way to games, probably sleeping on the way home. Yep. So I think between baseball and hockey, I think our farthest drive for like a regular season game was almost three hours one way. Wow. So doing that from the time you're like 14, right up to the time you graduate high school. Um, you just get into a routine, you get really good at it. And I, I cannot thank enough my parents because without them that none of that would have been possible. Like that, the sacrifices that they made, I think were far beyond the ones that I made. You've mentioned your parents three or four times now in this podcast. It sounds like you, you just said it then they were just so amazingly supportive. Yeah. And again, they weren't like the, the crazy ones who were there with like a radar gun behind the plate or anything like that. Like they were just kind of in the background. Um, and just they will tell you if you ask that like we were just a taxi, like got her to and from and, and they enjoyed it. Uh, but they, they gave up a lot, too, and both monetarily and, and of their time. Uh, but I think being involved as a parent, too, uh, you make your own little like social network on those teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And especially when you're in with a really good group, uh, I think they have a lot of fun as well at those games. Now we go to 2004, we have the first World Cup, World Series beforehand that we've we've talked about some previous episodes, um, the World Series, and then we had a World Cup. And um, it was the start of your run, which when I want to talk to you about World Cups, I don't really know where to start. I mean, there's been eight World Cups and the one thing that every player that's ever played a World Cup has in common is they've probably set foot on a field with you and that to me is like the most one of the most amazing things you've been at every single world cup tell me about your first what was that first because I know you played in that first world series and there was a few world series that first world cup was different it was just like we kind of felt it we'd arrived and there was a start of something new I think that's what we felt when we were over there what was yours and, and and Canada's feeling on that first world cup yeah, definitely. That trip was, I just remember being really long because we were in Japan first and then we flew back yes. to Edmonton to play. Um, but that was, honestly, I felt like I was living like a rock star. Like I felt like I was a professional athlete for the first time. Like we, our job was to play baseball. So you got up every day to train or play baseball and that's all you had to worry about. Didn't have to worry about making your own food. Didn't have to worry about your laundry. Didn't have to worry about driving anywhere. Um, so that was the first time that that had happened for all of us, not just for me being young. I think I was 18, but uh, we were staying in a, like a nice hotel, getting all our stuff catered. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was really incredible. And, and to speak to the baseball, um, it, it was really just a starting point looking back at it. And that it was a competitive tournament. Um, I think that was the first time we saw Chinese Taipei. Uh, there was mm. a, and the first time that we saw some of the countries that were that were there. Uh, but you got a sense that the game was gaining traction. It was growing. Uh, yeah. More and more people were playing. We were seeing returning players um, in Australia and the U.S., and, and you start to sort of build those rivalries and or camaraderies uh, in a sense. Um, you know, people get white line fever. You're there for the game, but after the game, you have a chit-chat, you trade stuff. Um, that was the first time, I think, that we really kind of realize like how important that was and how much like extra attention and treatment that we were getting uh it just surpassed anything to that point you guys got the bronze in that first world cup um and then 2006 the bronze again and then we go to 2008 and you guys burst through take the silver medal you only lost two games for the world cup and it was to japan to walk away with that silver medal was that the sort of moment you sort of went, yep, Canada's like, tell me, tell me about the preparation to get to that point. And then when you won silver, well, I guess we believe that the team were at that point. Uh, I think our coaching staff did a really good job. So to bridge that gap between 2004 and 2008, every off season. So every odd year we did something 
in 2005 we went to Cuba uh, 2007 I think was a local camp but we had other um, competitive teams from like the United States uh, possibly even Japan I'm not sure if it was 07 or 09 but there was always something going for us um, so we were connecting with that group again pieces change um, we had some young ones maturing at that point some some people coming who just weren't on the radar yet uh, but yeah, 2008, that was a really great tournament for us. I think things just clicked. They worked well. Uh, at that stage, we had rollover with the coaching staff. So Andre had been with us for four years at this point. Um, again, I I did my whole career with him too. So you could <laughs> say the same thing about him, anybody playing Canada at a World Cup. But um, mm. I think he started to learn from us more too. And we learned from him. And uh, once you develop that sort of bond and mutual respect, I think it got a lot easier for all of us, uh, better lines of communication. And we just got tighter as a group. Uh, the core yep. group kind of stayed the same for a long time. And you can tell teams that are really cohesive tend to get along quite well at those tournaments. And, and I think anybody that has a lot of success remembers not only what happened on the field, but your group and your mentality off the field is just as important. Yeah, I hear that. And I was going to say 2010 World Cup, I think it couldn't be more obvious with, um, I think, Australia's results. So I think we, that World Cup was really hard for everybody off the field, obviously with the shooting incident. And I think that bonded us. And it was almost just, it was just this natural organic thing that happened. And baseball just became secondary, I think, in that World Cup. And I believe that was a massive reason why we went on to win, to win that silver and finally break through and get out of fourth your World Cup career, you it's amazing. Six medals, two silver, four bronze. Now, you look at it and you go, okay, silver, could you have won one of those? You, you, you face Japan, maybe the bronzes. Like I sort of look at it and I go, 2012 was one that got away from us. Like we came fourth and it's very you kind of, when I say that, people will go, what? And I go, coming off the back of a silver and we thought we took a really good team into Canada, to come fourth was an really really hard for us is there a world cup where you go i wish we could have that one back because i think canada's good enough to have won one yeah i don't know i think 2006 was our chance because of the tournament format um that we beat japan and we beat the united states and we lost to teams that we probably shouldn't have not to i i think we might have lost to you guys not to say that we shouldn't have because our games are always super competitive Yep, no, um, we did we did beat you. That was a very fiery game. I'll, ne I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that one, and I think we lost to Chinese Taipei. So all And all we had to do to get gold was win one of those two, and we didn't. So that's the uh -huh. one that got away. I think okay. uh, in our, our silver medal, medal performances, uh, Japan was the better team on that day. Uh, so I, I can't really say we have a lot of regrets there. And it's a grind when you're at that tournament. By the time you get to the finals, you're just kind of rolling and, and you're held together with like Advil and duct tape, I feel like, at that stage, and <laughs> unless you're really young and rubbery. But um, yeah, so that's it's 2006 is the one that got away. Wow. Yeah, 2006 was – I remember we played you and we had to beat you by more than six or something, and I think we beat you by five or something, and we, we missed the bronze medal by like 0.2 of a run per inning at nine. It's just – fourth again that's all right it's all good how i wanted to ask you a question start of the career start of your world cup career to the end of the world cup career i look at my six world cups and it's almost like there's two distinct halves i think the first half i was young it was exciting and i'm working in the gym 24 7 i'm running on the field every game was played at the same pace and it was like the first three world cups and then the second three i kind of worked out oh okay i can actually slow it down a little bit i'm actually I'm smarter and my I'm older, so my body is forcing me to slow down. But I kind of loved the first half because it was just so new and fresh and you were young. But I actually really liked the second half more because I was that veteran. I was smarter and things while, as I said, my body wasn't as good. They were just really different. What was your – of your eight World Cups, was there distinct, like, periods in that you liked? Or I think I would have to agree with you, probably for two reasons. One, for the ones you mentioned, and two – uh, for the the scale and the competition, um, once we merged to WBSC, the tournament mm. format became very uniform, uh, and I really like that. 
So I think the tournament uh, hosting and everything in general, I think were really great uh, from that point. And I just remember, I think the last three venues were all outstanding and, and we had really great experiences there. But you're right. I think as a player, you do kind of slow down a little bit. You realize that there's times where you need to push it and then there's times where you don't. Uh, so, you know, when you're young and you're, you're out, you want to play every inning of every game, 100 miles an hour, and then when you get a little bit further on in your career, you're like, okay, I've done my work for today. Like somebody else can take over for the last <laughs> inning. Tomorrow's another day. And yep. you try to help your teammates, right? So you're in a different role again. So you're always um, trying to pass on your knowledge because you know your, your time's going to come uh, and, and do the best that you can. Uh, and you start looking at it from a different perspective too. Like uh, you read into it a little bit more, more from mm -hmm. like coach's eyes almost in a sense. Yep. Um, and you start doing like, what would I do in this situation? What would my lineup be the night before kind of thing? But when you're young, you're too busy running around trying to find all your friends at, you know, before curfew to hang out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you're older, it's just a totally different lens that you're looking through uh, at that point in your career. And yeah, you're right. You do, you get smarter you understand what other teams are trying to do at the plate, trying to attack you a certain way. And I think you're just more in tune with that. Um, mm. But yeah, I think uh, that's a generic statement. I think a lot of athletes are like that, but I would agree with you. I think I enjoyed the second half more. Yeah. And it, it's funny because you, I, I it's, you, you can't, you can't take time back, but I look at it and I go, I, I wish I could have that first half back because I would, you just understood more. You understood team dynamics, which was huge. And you just understood, as you said, the body and being smarter and things. It's it's funny, but I, I I could list all your accolades twice, all world team, world cup, um, team MVP awards. If you had to put one favorite moment, what was your favorite eight world cups? I don't even know how you can a remember them all, but if you could give me one on field moment, I think the my absolute favorite, and it's kind of like sappy people be like oh it was uh 2018 so my very good friend ashley stevenson and i played every single world cup together uh, room together for most of them and to be able to finish that on a win in your last game with the coach that got you through the whole way so the three of us just kind of had like a hug it out moment after that and then we got the gatorade shower all three of us <laughs> um that was really cool and I think some people have pictures of that. And it's just like, you're not thinking about the end of it. You're just sort of caught up in the moment at that time. And, and then you take a step back, like six weeks later, you're looking at it after the point and you're like, wow, that was a really cool moment. And what was even more impressive was watching. I remember I got lifted for a pinch runner in extra innings and I was watching a 16 year old pitcher throw to a 17 year old catcher in a bronze medal game. <laughs> So I was like, this is incredible. Like this is, it's come full circle yeah. and I'm happy. Like I'm passing it on to the next group and, and they're doing amazing. So just kind of seeing everything come full circle. It was just a really cool moment. That, I, that, I love that answer. That answer is so awesome that it's not a medal. It's not a something. It's the, the fact that you, and I, and I think you, yourself and Ashley and, and Andre need to really realize what you did for the program. I think, um, and it's funny, and Ashley is on my list for my podcast. She doesn't know this, but she's like this enigma because she didn't really reach out outside much of the Canadian team. She was just there, and it was just like every year, and she was at third base, and like Donna Mill, she didn't want to hit it to third base because you knew you were going to be out, and she was just World Cup after World Cup. And we go back to 2018. It's like I remember watching it on the TV, and that was the great thing about the 2018 World Cup. Every single game was live. I was up at every living that time zone. And I was watching you two and it's like, we, Sam and I were both saying, we don't, why are you two retiring? Like you actually <laughs> looked like you could go on. You really could. Um, was there, did you make, when did you make that decision? And, and again, did you make it with Andre and Ashley? Did you all talk before? What was? No, it was all made independently. Like I, I kind of knew going into it, it'd probably be Ash's last one. Um, she's not quite four years my senior. And I think at that point it was like, so you got to, this is going back. So not only are we in every World Cup together, we're roommates, we play on the same club team every summer. And at one stage, she lived like five minutes down the road from me. So we carpooled every game. 
So we're talking like 24 to 26 games plus the nationals plus every training. And I think at one stage, like, you know, when you got a really rough drive, like anybody that's driven Toronto traffic, it's horrendous at rush hour. Like it, it can take you what should be like a 50 minute drive can turn into like two and a half hours in a heartbeat if something goes wrong. And it's wow. like that bumper to bumper. And so many times we would look at each other and we're like, how much longer are we going to do this? And we just kept doing it for a really yep. long time because we loved it. Like we loved yep. every minute of the experience. But I think at some stage you're like, okay, now there's also life that's happening when you start getting up to your mid thirties. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's kind of like looking at the whole, uh, the process. Um, and again, I think I, I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish uh, in my career. Obviously a gold medal would have been great, but at that point it just, it didn't happen. Uh, and we were starting to go through more of like a, a rebuild, uh, moving pieces in and out. And uh, another really great teammate and friend of mine, Nicole Lachansky, called it quits after that one too. So mm. it's just watching that that last of that group that you went through your whole career with um, kind of walk away. And uh, yeah, it just, it it's different. It's a different experience and and it's just time to move on and, and take up a new role. Mm. And when you talk about the time and the money, it's I have a thing where I say there's no crying in baseball, but there's no money in women's baseball either. <laughs> it's like, I think we all know, like I think about how many six figures easily we would have spent in our career for traveling to the World Cups, buying the jersey that has your name on it, to, to, to all the things, club fees, physios, all those types of things. I don't even want to know. The, it'd be well in excess of 100 grand for each of us. And... I'm, I know that if someone said to me to like 20 years ago, you're going to spend 150 grand and these are the, these are the experiences, these are the people you're going to meet, this is what you're going to do, that's going to cost you that. I'd be like, where do I sign? Where do I sign? Like, do, are, are you the same? Like, I, I would not ask for one cent back. No, honestly, I, I think I'm the same. And I, I think we're in a little bit different position um, than what you guys had to do uh, collectively as a team. Like, I think we had a little bit more backing and, uh, support from our organization here, uh, Baseball Canada. Really lucky to have um, the support that we did, but uh, definitely, like it's, you're right, it's all the registration fees, the the training, the physio, the, all that stuff. It all adds up, every flight you take. But yeah, I wouldn't trade it. There's so many amazing experiences, so many amazing people that you've met throughout your career and, and opportunities. I'm sure you're going to segue into this, but who knew baseball would take me to Australia? like to live and work and play. Like if you had told me that when I was 15 at the World Cup, I would have been like, ah, no way, like whatever, right? You were just blowing it off. But to have those opportunities, you're right. You just wouldn't trade it knowing what you mm. know now. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and you're right, talking about your, you are a friend of, a friend of Australia. We, we've been very privileged to have you down here, unfortunately playing against me at a club level. Um <laughs> I'm like, I played against you in Canada and now I'm playing against you in Melbourne. I'm like, come on. But had the privilege of playing alongside you for a Victorian um, team um, at our nationals. And it's, yeah, like you, you talk about the obviously the connection you made with Shay and um, you came out and played. We had a few Canadians, obviously Vanessa Riopel, Autumn Mills, um, Amanda Say. There's been a really great influx of Canadians out here. Tell me about that, yeah, how, how you love that option and opportunity to come out and travel and explore and enjoy baseball down here yeah it was it was incredible I mean it, I there's so many experiences down there and and people I've met um so yeah going back to sort of that 2011 I was uh Shay was always bugging me she's like oh you should really come down and, and play with us and I thought sure no problem wait till I'm done school though I can't just up and leave in the middle of, of school so in my last year of uh, like university education, I was doing my teaching degree and she's like, well, what are you doing? And I said, well, that offer still stand. Like I'm, I'm happy to, to come down. And so, yeah, it's like, I guess seven and a half months roughly of your life. But, and, and you don't know, it's a big leap. Like you're away for school and you're not living at home and, and you're experiencing all these things, but to go abroad. And I was uh, 25 at the time, I think, which is reasonable. Like, I'd like to think you're like fairly adultish at that point. Um, but there's, there's so many things that, that you learn about yourself, I think on those trips. Um, 
and making all those connections. Like I just, I can't even fathom like the number of people I met. And I've been back several times since then just mm. because of all those connections and the people. And, and when you go back, it's like a second home. And I joke with people, I think I was joking with you. Um, I always tell people I speak Australian and they're like, what are you talking about? They speak English. And I'm like, oh yeah, no, you go there <laughs> and you tell me that you understand every single word. Um, but it, it, learning that uh, the, there's cultural differences, slight, I think the general attitude is the same. Um, but, you know, things like learning what, uh, like you guys call a meat pie, like that's like your street food. I didn't know that <laughs> going there. So it, you just have to be open and just embrace it and try all these things. And uh, uh, most of the girls are good. They don't steer you wrong, except Vegemite. That's my one regret. <laughs> why what did you put a sp- do you just get a spoon and do you just eat it in like nutella because that's the that's where everyone goes wrong they just go oh yeah it's nutella and then they put a whole hunk in their mouth none of us do that i don't think just so i bit. think someone tried to give it to me on toast like wafer thin like it's supposed to be it's yeah i just that's the one thing i can i can do everything else just not that it's not it's not for everyone um mm-hmm. and and look you, you talked about the the people that you meet along the way and the in the influences um you've brought up Andre's name, but, and obviously Ashley's what, where do you put though, uh, particularly Andre and people that really have influenced your career? What, what are some of the people that really made you who you are? Yeah. Um, Andre played a really big part in that. Um, it, it just, you know, the confidence that he had in us as young players um, and me in particular and the conversations that we could have about baseball. Like, Andre's the kind of guy that you could text or call. Say you're watching an MLB game and you don't understand something or you're like, why would you do that in that situation? And he'd get right back to you and be like, what game, what game? I'll go watch the replay and, and he'll get right on it. So, And what he's done for women's baseball in this country is, is just incredible. I mean, he mm-hmm. really put it on the map uh, at a national level. Um being involved in some of the programs like we send uh obviously pre-pandemic we sent uh basically uh like a squad to cuba every single year to help develop women's baseball there uh it started off being like pieces of the national program and then it turned into like a development program um, for girls aged like 14 to 17 uh, right across canada uh, it was always put out there and that got so popular and uh, it's a shame we couldn't keep it running, but um, mm. hopefully it'll start back up again, but just things like that. And so he was super influential, obviously, Ash, um, one of my other teammates, Amanda Ace, uh, she came on board uh, 2005 and the two of us got along so well. Uh, I, I think a lot of that too is you make those connections, especially not with everybody, but there's certain people that, that push you and, and push you to be better, um, tell you when you, you know, maybe your head's getting a little big, you need to get knocked down a notch or, or just say like, hey, what were you thinking? Um, but it's nice to have those people that you can kind of lean on or, or if you're having a rough tournament, like I know 2014 wasn't my best one. Um, I hurt myself in a pre-tournament game and pretty much had my thumb stuck on with tape for the whole tournament. Um, and, and just being, I remember being frustrated and just being able to talk to those players uh, and, and the coaching staff too, but the players are where you make your connection and, and they help you get through tournaments. Um, and, and I think if you asked anybody, they would have that special connection with a few of their teammates. So yeah, it's just, it's really unparalleled. Um, one thing we haven't touched on, uh, <clears throat> probably because uh, your program wasn't involved, was the Pan Ams. That was yeah. huge for us. Yeah, <laughs> talking to particularly Veronica and, and, and that around that that as well, we're so jealous that you guys haven't something outside of a World Cup and it's not just another thing. It's huge. What was that like? That was the first multi-sport event that we ever did um, and probably the last to this date. Um, it was so cool. Uh, just to be part of something that was so much bigger. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it just, there was so much going on uh, and the preparation and the funding that we got that year just made for like a really unreal experience. Is it something you having t- taken part in that multi-sport experience? Is, is it a, I mean, clearly it's a dream for all of us, but a dream for, for women's baseball to, to be in the Olympics. Is that something you reckon you'll ever see? I hope so. 
Um, mm. You know, we always strive for that, but it, we're a long way off. Um, but yeah, we'll see. See what the future holds. Yep. You you retired, um, and I, I actually want to <laughs> I actually want to bring something up in your. Um, I think it was one of your last years in the World Cup team. You, I was reading a headline the other day. They referred to you as Canada's old lady of the leather, which I have to say is, oh, goodness me, out of context, old lady of the leather. I love it. Now, I want you to tell us a story about why you were called that. It's got something to do with emojis. Is that yeah. correct? So <laughs> leading up to that World Cup, I think we were in Montreal. Don't quote me on that. But the coaching staff thought it'd be really fun to do the lineup with emojis <laughs> when we were at our training camp. <clears throat> Excuse me. So every team, every player got an emoji, and I got the granny one. <laughs> so we had some that were like the strong arm. I think Ash got the sweary face. Um, but there was lots, and I got the old lady. <laughs> How come so, Ash didn't get didn't you say Ash is older than you? Yeah, but if you know Ash, the sweary face is probably more appropriate for her. Oh, yeah. I think yeah, we yeah. were just going for the most appropriate at that moment. And I think <laughs> maybe through, like, default, when you're looking through them, they were like, no, inappropriate, inappropriate, no, no. And they're like, oh, old lady, that'll do. She's next in line. Oh, how'd you take that? Oh, in stride. I mean, if you know the, the coaching group that we have, they're always having fun and... and it's it's yeah it's just part of the the whole group atmosphere so it was fine (laughs) old lady of the leather sounds like a tv show or a you know what if you host your own women's baseball podcast i think it could be old lady old ladies of the leather (laughs) maybe maybe i'll rename i'll rename this show i'll just do all the retired players I just want to talk about your playing legacy um i i was reading the other day that you are I think you and Ash won the Jimmy Rattlesnake Award um, from Baseball Canada. It's an award given to a player from the women's national team for their on-field accomplishments as well as their team spirit and leadership. And I didn't know who Jimmy Rattlesnake was and I, I read he, read up about him the other day and he was your first Indigenous player from Canada that went across to the US and um, had, had a lot of accomplishments. And I think it's an amazing, um, I think, legacy and, and a recipient of that award. I sort of read it and I read the award and everything and I go, that really should be the Kate Soda Award. Like it's almost like there could be now with what you've done on and off the field and the person you have, you, there could be an award for you. What, what do you hope that your legacy, when people think of your name from those eight World Cups, what do you want it to be? Oh, that's a good one. Um, <clears throat> uh, just somebody that, you know, showed up every day, and and played hard like sort of gave it their best shot um was approachable open for for teammates um you know it's when the team succeeds everybody succeeds so your individual accomplishments never mean as much as your team goals do um so yeah just just being able to be the the kind of person that could be relied upon uh on and off the field to be supportive um that's it's huge yep and we talk about off the field uh you you we haven't lost you from women's baseball which is great can you tell us um your role with canadian women's baseball now yeah so i accepted a assistant coaching position with the program um would have been just after uh the qualifier in 2019 i was talking with aaron uh the head coach of the program now and uh went down to Cuba, myself and Hannah Martinson as guest coaches in 2019. And, and he talked to us both there and just asked us if we wanted to come on board. He thought he'd be a good fit for the program. Um, so I'm really excited. I mean, it, part of me feels like I don't deserve it just because I don't have the coaching experience, but I have the playing experience and I have the World Cup experience, um, which can really be sort of invaluable um, knowing mm. what those players are going through at that time. So. I'm just really eager for that next part of my career and, and just, you know, want to help in any way possible that I can. Was there a point in your career that you went, yes, I want to get into coaching or was it after you retired? When, when did that sort of become a, an option for you? Um, I mean, it, it, probably more so after. I, I would love to give more 
but it's hard when work gets in the way. Like I, I'm pretty much um, working every Saturday, so it makes it difficult to get out sometimes. Um, I'd like to <coughs> be involved a little bit more uh, with the coaching role, especially now within the province. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had so many great mentors and coaches that at, at one stage you you get to a point where you're like, okay, I want to give back to the program that gave so much to me, um, and anytime they need a hand with something, um, you know, we're always there, whether or not we can physically get there or not. But, uh, and we talked about this before about the women's baseball community being so connected and so strong. Um, we're really fortunate that way. And, and I'm just looking forward to being able to learn from, uh, from everybody in that role now. Yep. And the playing staff, I, I, I remember seeing, I think it was seven players under 18 or 17 ages from the last World Cup squad when you won in what I think was one of the best games I've ever seen at a World Cup, that bronze medal game. Um, how's the squad looking now? And can you talk to that that youth, which I, I just think is so exciting and intimidating for the rest of the world? Hmm. Uh, yeah, we do have a lot of really young players. Um, and, and it is exciting. You're right. I think that's a good word to describe it. Um, exciting because you, they don't have a ceiling right now. So we know that their growth uh, is sort of limitless right now, I guess is a way to put it. And the amount of resources that they have and the way the program is progressing, like they're already starting, you know, it's say in like seventh gear and we started at like negative two. So they're already so much further advanced than we were at the comparative age. Um, So it's, and the tools that we have now um, with, analytics and data and the way that we can stay connected even through these like rough times now it's it's really cool to kind of watch their development um as baseball players but as people too because we expect in our program not only to be a really uh strong and and positive role model on the field but also off the field so it's important that they conduct themselves accordingly and i think we sort of get that message across that you're a good person and a good baseball player and I asked this question of, of Daphne, um, can, can you beat Japan? Who can beat Japan? What is it going to take to beat Japan? To beat Japan? No errors. You cannot mm. make an error in that game. I think yep. your defense is so critical. Uh, it's, it's not a matter of out hitting, it's out defending and your pitching. You need a pitcher that can go toe for toe with their best and, and keep them guessing. Uh, don't walk people so again your defense is just Mm. so critical because it's going to be probably a one or two run game at most and I think uh, in order to do that you you cannot make any mistakes yep you make one and they jump on you for nine runs (laughs) not just one run sometimes yeah you can't afford you've got to be you can't try and be better than Japan you have to be your best but you just have to yeah it's the the errors it's Mm -hmm. it's not to take anything away from what they've achieved from for their six World Cups. But I think at times, I think pl- countries have played, we've played with our hands around our throats at times against them because they're Japan. Um, and it's yeah. very intimidating to line up against Japan. And I think toe to toe, I think there's maybe been some, maybe better results if we not all played a little bit. It's tough walking out in the field when they roll out Saito for the 27th time of that World Cup. You're like, oh my God, how are you pitching again? <laughs> Didn't you just pitch this morning? It is. And, and I think um, in 2018 was a great example. Like we went like a really close game with them and I was hurt for that game. And I, I absolutely hated that because I knew that was mm. going to be my last time possibly playing them. And I, I love playing against the best. I think that brings out the best in me. Uh, so watching that from the bench, but watching these young players go out there and whether or not they were nervous, they didn't show it. I just think they didn't, they were like, cool, it's Japan. They're the best. We're just going to go out and do our thing. Nobody expects anything of us at this stage. And they were amazing. Like they were getting hits. Mm. They were making plays. So just, it's so important to be able to go out there and just be confident and play your game and, and just take it sort of like pitch by pitch and inning by inning and, and not look at the end goal right away. You need to break it down into segments and be the best for that period of time. Yeah, you're right. And it's amazing when you say that because I think back to 2010 when we beat Japan um, at that World Cup, which set us up for that run towards the final, then we faced them. And that, that win we had against them was off the back of just into Barclay, just an amazing performance. 
And we fed off her because she was just like, I don't care who you are. It doesn't matter if I'm throwing against Alex Rodriguez or the Anangatang thirds in the back of Victoria and Melbourne. It didn't matter. She just threw and it was that, that's what we fed off. And then we got to that gold medal game and it was almost like, as I said before, it's hard enough to beat them once at a World Cup and then you have to beat them twice. And I'll never forget, they jumped us for nine runs in the first inning. But from that moment on, that nine runs, it was like a tied ball game for the rest of the game. It shows you that one inning that they get you and it's just like then they just go, yep, we've done enough. And then they just play this comfortable game where you're always fighting. It's just that it's an, it's an exhausting thing to play Japan, mentally yeah, and can. physically. It can be. I mean, that's that's the ultimate goal, right? Like, you, you want to be the best, you're going to have to beat Japan. So you're going to have to find a way to do it. So I guess uh, speaking to our perspective, having this next group coming up, hopefully we can make them um, as cohesive as we were uh, back in, like, 2012 through that run. Uh, and, and they can grow together. And, and yeah, it's just uh, the more experience. And like I said, they're already at a higher starting point. So hopefully it just... Um, you know, mm. snowballs off of that and, and we can move forward and, and continue to get better. And your thoughts on the World Cup going to every four years? I mean, whenever the World Cup hopefully is held soon, um, how, how much of an impact do you think that has positively or neg- negatively for women's baseball? Oh, look, I, I don't know at this stage. I mean, it's easy to sit here and think like, man, that would have been really tough as a player every four years. But I understand the reasoning behind it. Um I mean, it, it's it's tough to host. It's tough to find hosts. But well, mm. it, only time's going to tell whether it helps or hinders. I mean, it really hinges on what happens in between those. Um, yep. But certainly, I think, uh, you know, playing eight World Cups is probably going to stand for a long time. I don't think a lot <laughs> of people are going to reach that milestone every four <laughs> years. Uh, but uh, it, it's... I think it's the, the hardest part is going to be for the players who are, like, mid-career now. Because they're already used to that format. Now it's changed. Uh, so it's it's being able to adapt to that. Yep. And I think, as you said, it's a, it's a massive... Um, what I think it does now, the positive, it, it, a lot of the domestic-based uh, federations and organisations have to look to building something to, to fill those four years. And I think that, that'll have a... Hopefully, if that is done, have a really positive effect on leagues whether it's professional leagues semi-professional leagues things like that i know that obviously australia is discussing a, a women's professional league out here which um if there is one are we will we see you come out here as a coach oh, i don't know maybe if i get the invite i'm not going <laughs> to say no at this stage yeah no i know we all we as i said before you're a friend of friend of australia friend of women's baseball so if there's an opportunity to have you over here and um as a as a coach uh again i know Hopefully, Baseball Australia, it'd be great to see some international coaches and international players in our leagues. I just want to say thank you for joining us on, or joining me on this podcast. Um, I think we could talk to you for hours, as I said to you, eight World Cups, 20 years of women's baseball, the stories that you you have. I think both of us, they're starting to slowly disappear in the back of our minds. We don't, (laughs) can't quite remember. But I just want to say thank you. And it's been a, it was a privilege to take the field against you, win or lose. So thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And for those of you that don't know, AMAC was a super competitor, uh, really fun to play against. Like every time you played against her, it was 110%. Like you couldn't take a, no time off. So she was just as uh, challenging and difficult to play against. Ah, oh, thank you. Most people know me as white line fever. So I'm quite different off the field than I am. I think a lot of us are. And that's one of the things I think I like about this podcast is um, there's people I'm talking to now that I don't know as well like I know you pretty well but like I, I did an interview with Donna Mills the other day and I really don't know Donna it's like all I remember is that person at third base and that wall and that and you just don't know and then you speak to them and I'm like oh my god you're, we're all the same we all had <laughs> the same stories and journeys yeah it's like you cross that white line and we're all very quick to judge people on how they play what they do and I think we're all just very similar and it goes back to that women's baseball community and yeah, it's a, it's a good one. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm part of it. So Awesome. Thank you. And, um, yeah, good luck with the national women's team. Um, hopefully the World Cup will see you out on the uh, coaching of the base paths soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Make sure to check the show notes below for links to some of the things we've discussed and mentioned in this episode. 
We would also love it if you could subscribe to the show and leave us a review. And if you have some time, throw us some love over on social media at Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Catch you next time.